Well, as you stay standing, if you would grab your word and turn with me to 1 Peter, 1 Peter in chapter number 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, and I um, want us to look um, this morning at verse 4 and 5. Now, if you remember verses 1, 2, and 3 that we looked at last Sunday night, we saw that given the great salvation we have, he's encouraging these which are being very much persecuted and suffering. He says, be sure that you have laid aside and you continue to lay aside all malice and guile and hypocrisies. And then he says, as newborn babes desiring the word, the milk of the word. And as newborn babes desiring the milk of the word, why? Because you've tasted it. And the Lord, he is good. Now, with that being said, watch what he does here. You've tasted the Lord is gracious to whom coming, verse 4, continuation, to whom coming as unto a lively living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. You also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, would you so etch this truth in our hearts. And Father, may we be just fully aware today of exactly what took place. Father, when you saved us, when you set us aside unto yourself, Father, the magnitude of your call upon our life. Father, may it just be absolutely crystal clear as we look at these two verses together. And I'll give you the praise, the honor, and the glory in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want you to look at this with me as we look at verse 4. So, seeing that we have a desire for the Word as newborn page. Now, remember from Sunday night, that simply means that it is a unquenchable desire. It's a desire in which you long for the word as a newborn babe longs for milk. Now, let me tell you something. As I said Sunday night, let me remind you this morning. If you have a baby that's thirsty, I promise you, you will know it. They will let you know it. Why? Because they're going to be miserable until they get what they're thirsty for. Well, can I tell you, a child of God ought to be the same way for the Word of God. And that's what he's drawing the, the illustration here. And so he draws that illustration and he says, now, he said, you've tasted and you've seen the Lord is gracious, the Lord is good, and he said, to whom coming? Now, I want you to look first with me at a stated communion. Now, you say, what do you mean a stated communion? Because what he's talking about here when he says, To whom coming as unto a living stone, here's what he's saying. He's not talking about the coming in which we came in salvation. No, he's talking about a coming in which we continuously come in communion and intimacy. So he's talking about if you've tasted and you desire the sincere milk of the word, 
then you're always going to be drawing unto him. You're always going to be drawing nigh to him. And you're always going to be want to walk in a deeper, more intimate fellowship and communion and relationship with him. This is what he's talking about here. And so he says here, he said there's a stated communion. There is a something that has transpired as you have tasted the Lord is gracious that now he has put within you a desire to what? Continue to draw an intimacy and communion with him. Now, I want you to look at two things in this statement. Number one, an abiding intimacy. In other words, this is spoken of in this way. That this coming to him is a habitual, continual, personal approach upon him. The word abiding here simply means to be attached to. Now he uses the illustration, to whom coming as unto a living stone. Now I'll get into what all that means in just a moment. But here's the picture. The living stone here is going to picture the Lord Jesus. And he says that we are coming to him as living stones, and we're coming to him to attach to the living stone. And the picture is the living stone being Christ is the cornerstone, and the living stones are the building stones. And listen, the building stones are only as good as the cornerstone. So in other words, you and I are attaching to him as the stone in his building. And you're coming to him in great intimacy. Now, here's the other thing. Not only is it an abiding intimacy, it's an allowed intimacy. And you say, what do you mean? What's passive? And you say, well, what's passive mean, preacher? It simply means, in, in the Greek, it means someone operates on your behalf to cause it to be reality. So can I tell you today that your coming in intimacy, your desire for communion and intimacy with God, let me tell you, it's only because God has allowed you permitted you, initiated in you, and gave you the desire to do it. And I believe this. Every child of God has that desire. And therefore, God has initiated in the heart of every child of God and allowed. How many of you grad today that the, tail, the, the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom? How many are you glad today God has now made access to him whereby we can have fellowship with him? And can you imagine that God would allow you and me to have anything to do with him? Much less to have intimate fellowship with him. Because that's what this is talking about. And so not only is it abiding, but it's a loud intimacy. Now, here's what grips my heart about this, okay? Now, I'm just going to be transparent. If God has made all of this provision, that God would give us the liberty to have this kind of intimacy and communion with him. Does it not strike you as convicting when we don't take advantage of it? See, I, listen, guys, I, I've been on this for months. I, I preached a couple messages months ago to y'all, and I'm still on it. I believe the number one God des desire God has for his children is intimacy. Now, you say, well, I believe it's that we would be to his glory. I would agree, but guess what? You're not going to have that without intimacy. 
And God wants us to have an intimate relationship with him. And so this is what he's saying. You've tasted. The Lord is gracious. You, you desire, as newborn babes, the sincere milk of the word. Now to whom you come. And to whom you continue to come. And to whom you continue to come. And to whom you continue to come. And so you see a stated communion. But now look with me at, at the next part of this phrase in verse 4. You see a stone chosen. He says, who are you coming to? As unto a living stone. Now I want you, I want you to see some things about the rest of this verse. Number one, you see it's an essential stone. Now you say, what do you mean living stone? Do you not find it odd that a stone should not be living? But yet he calls the Lord Jesus a living stone. Now you say, what do you mean a living stone? Well, listen, we're going to find out tonight. He's the chief cornerstone. We're going to find out tonight that the whole building is built centered on him. We're going to find out all those truths tonight as you come back at 6 o'clock. Well, I got some people that said yeah, amen. All right? And so we're going to find all that out tonight. But here's the reality. He's not just a stone. He's a living stone. He's the resurrected Lord Jesus. Hey, can I tell you? The Bible says that he is the living word. The Bible says he is the living Lord. The Bible says he is the living God. And I got news for you. He is the living stone. You see, Christ is essential to every minute detail of the Christian life. Without him, the Christian life is an impossibility. And so Christ is the essential stone. But not only that, but it says here he was an examined stone. Watch what it says here. Disallowed indeed of men. Now you say, well, preacher, what does this mean, disallowed of men? The word disallowed means simply this, to reject after examining and coming to a conclusion of disapproval. In other words, as the Jewish leaders of that day looked upon the Lord Jesus as he walked upon this earth for those three and a half years of his earthly ministry, they looked upon him, they examined him, and when they examined him, here was their determination. Crucify him. He's not our Messiah. Disallowed. Disapproved. Man wanted nothing to do with the Christ. Now you say, well, preacher, that's amazing. Well, listen, it was prophesied many times in the Old Testament. Isaiah 53, verse 2, For he, being Christ, shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. So he was examined, and they said, He's not our Christ. He's not our Messiah. Now you say, well, why did they say that? I mean, all he did was show love. All he did was uh, do uh, miracles. All he did was show kindness. All he did was teach truth. You say, why in the world would they not allow the Lord Jesus? Because here's the reason. They had their minds made up of what the Messiah would look like in their minds. And Jesus didn't fit their bill. 
Now you say, well, preacher, that's, that's the Jews of the Old Testament. That has nothing to do with us. I got news for you. Here's the way most people today live. I have no problem yielding to a Christ of my creation. A Christ that lets me keep my independence, do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. I don't mind yielding. As long as he's a Christ that get me out of hell and get me to heaven, I'm good. But don't you dare let him control my life. You see, we, so many people have created a Christ in their mind. And they become religious and zealous to the Christ in their mind. But here's the problem. It's not the Christ of the Bible. And so we in America today are doing the same thing the Jews did then. And we fabricated in our minds our perception of what Jesus ought to be. And if he don't match our perception, then we're not on board. And so here was a, the stone, the living stone, the living Christ. He was an essential stone. He was an examined stone, but he was an elected stone. Watch what it says here. It says, but chosen of God. Precious. Now let me give you a statement here, okay? God uses what man rejects, and God mostly rejects what man uses. I'm going to say that again. Man uses what God rejects, and God mostly rejects what man uses. You say, what do you mean by that? Here's what I'm saying. They looked at Christ and said, no, nope, he's not the Christ. He's not the Messiah that we've come up with in our mind, of our theological training, of our way of looking at Scripture. He doesn't fit the bill. And yet God said, oh, but let me tell you something. I spoke from heaven, and he said, ah, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I want to tell you something. He was the one God chose before there ever was a was, and he is the seed of a woman, and he is the only hope. And God predetermined that Christ and Christ alone would be our only hope. You want to know what election is? There it is in a nutshell. Election has to do with Christ, does not have to do with God choosing the church. You see, here it is. Christ was determined. Christ was predetermined that you and I could only come through Christ. He's the only hope. So we see he's an essential stone, an examined stone, an elected stone. And Christ Jesus is the stone that God chose. Well, look thirdly. Not only do we see a stated communion and a stone chosen, we see a spiritual construction. Watch this with me. You also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. Now, folks, listen. If you're saved today, say amen. amen. Listen to what I'm about to say. My prayer for this message has been single focus. And you say, what is it? That for those that are saved, you would understand in a more deeper understanding the magnitude of what God did and how God sees you as his child. 
Because here's the truth. Most of us see ourselves as children of God, family of God, reconciled to God, forgiven of God, and all those things are true. But what we're about to look at in verse 5 takes all those truths to a whole new dimension and a whole new level. And I believe most people have never come to understand fully who they became when they became a child of God. So have I got your curiosity up? All right, so look at this with me. A spiritual construction. He says, you also as living stones. Now, why did he use the term you also? Well, watch this. But God chose Christ, end of verse 4, and God saw Christ as precious, more valuable than anything else. You also. Now you say, well, wait a minute. You can't put me on the level of Christ. Listen to me. How does God see you? Through who? Why? Because you are in Christ. So the only way God can see you is through Christ. So how God sees his son is how God sees you because he can only see you through his son. So if he's precious in God's sight, you also. Now don't you get the big head. It's not because of what you did. It's not because of who you are. It's because of who Christ is. But God sees you also. So he says, listen, Christ is the living stone, singular. But we are living stones, plural. So what is he saying? He's saying the stone that is alive derived his life to us, and we live by the life of the living stone. And so when God sees us, whose life does he say? Are y'all with me? Say amen. Man, I'm going to tell you. So watch this with me. Notice the focus of the building. He says you are as living stones are built up a spiritual house. So as living stones that derive our life from the living stone. Where's God's focus at? The living stone. The Bible says this. That what comes out of us that pleases God is a sweet-smelling savor of Christ. Not of us. So in other words, what pleases God, what glorifies God, is not us. It's the Christ in us. Can I tell you, there's never been a time, eternity past, eternity future, that God found pleasing anywhere else but in what looked like him. How many agree Adam before the fall looked like Christ? God-centered in everything he did. 
So you saw Adam before the fall, you saw the character and nature of God. All right? How many of you agree today that Christ, walking up on this earth as man, God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well what? What did God see in Christ? Himself. Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the what? Father. There's only one other time God says this. It's found in Paul's writings. Here's what Paul said. The church is pleasing to God. What does God see in the church? Himself. You say, how does he see himself in the church? Because the church is the church because of Christ. And God sees the Son. And when God sees the Son, let me tell you something, he's always pleased. So Christ is the focus of the building. You say, well, preacher, what's the building? I'll get to it in a minute. Y'all say amen. Amen. (laughs) So that's the focus of the building. Look at the foundation of the building. You say, what is it? Well, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20 says, we're built up on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And you say, what does that mean? The foundation of the building is truth. So in other words, Christ is the living stone, the cornerstone, in which all the walls become perfectly aligned. But the foundation is truth. You say, well, wait a minute, preacher. If the foundation is truth and Christ is the cornerstone, then isn't Christ the foundation? Yes, because Christ is the truth made flesh. He's the truth lived out. 1 Timothy 3.15, but, but if I tarry long, he says that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of what? The church is the pillar and ground of truth. Built upon the foundation of the truth in which the apostles and the prophets laid. The Word of God. People tell me all the time, Preacher, you're too narrow. You're too legalistic about people sitting under the Word. You want to know why? It's the foundation of everything. Why wouldn't I desire everybody to be under the Word all the time if it's the foundation of your whole existence? It is the foundation because it is Christ lived out. Well, notice this. Not only the focus of the building and the foundation of the building, but the forming of the building. Watch what it says. You as living stones are built up a spiritual house. Now, here's the debate, okay? I'm going to give you a little Greek lesson. Y'all okay with that? Say amen. All right, there's two moods. There's indicative and imperative. Indicative means this. It's a statement of fact. Imperative means it's a command. Let me give you an example. Go and tell. Would you agree that's an imperative, command? In other words, that's not optional for a believer. Okay? All right, so the Bible says that we have been saved by faith. Indicative, statement of fact. All right, now, here's the thing. There's great controversy. It depends on who you look at who translates this. Some translate this, uh, this phrase here, are built up a spiritual house, indicative, statement of fact. Some translate it as imperative that you are being built up. A spiritual house. You say, preacher, which is it? Yes. 
You say, well, it's got to be one. No, it's yes. You say, what do you mean yes? Because here's the reality. If you're saved today, you are being built up a spiritual house. That's a fact. But can I tell you today, as a saved person in your sanctification, you ought to be daily giving yourself to the work of God building you up as his spiritual house. So both is true. And so what's this building for? No. Living stones. Lively stones. You say, preacher, who are those? You and me were the lively stones. Now, here's the way it works. When they would build in that day, you're going to find this absolutely mind-boggling. They did not have electric machinery. They hand-carved every stone. And they would always start with the cornerstone. The capstone is what they would call it. And then they would take every stone after that that would erect the substructure or the superstructure of the building, the walls. And they would carve every stone, listen, to perfectly fit with the cornerstone. And if that stone did not perfectly fit with the cornerstone, they would cast it aside and chisel out another one. You say, preacher, what makes us fit to be the building of God? Because through Christ and His righteousness, he made us a perfect fit unto his son. He wedded us to his son. He placed us in his son, placed his son in us. In other words, he so identified us with his son that it's as if we are one with his son. Turn with me real quick to Ephesians. Ephesians 2, verse 19. Watch this. Now, therefore. How many agree when you see therefore, you need to find out what it's... Goes back, you're saved by grace. Faith through grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. You're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Y'all remember all that? Now, therefore. You are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And you are built up on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. I quoted that a minute ago. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. Let me tell you what God did when he saved you. He made you the habitation of his presence. The reference here to the building is the temple. 
Now, I want you to think about this just a moment, okay? How many of you agree of all the things that the Jews would have looked like, looked at and boasted of the most would have been the glorious construction of the temple? I mean, listen, if you would have asked them, they'd say, oh, let me tell you about it. Boy, the gold, the, 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 the bronze, the, the glory, the beauty. But the Jews don't have the property to build a temple anymore. It's under Muslim control. Why wouldn't God let them build another temple? Because he has a temple more precious than of gold and of bronze and of stone. He has a temple now that's alive. It's not a dead structure like the temple of the Old Testament. Oh, no, no. It's a living stone. It's a living temple. It's made up of a living foundation, of a living cornerstone, of a living superstructure. It's made up of living men, women, boys, and girls, you and I. How many of you agree that in the Old Testament, for God to take his presence his shekinah glory and feel the innermost part of the temple the holy of holies it was so awe-inspiring when it happened that the bible says that no man could even enter in i mean can you imagine israel i mean they go out and they say wow you know listen we built a temple just as god said god took his presence put it in the middle of it and boy it was so amazing so awesome we couldn't even go near it. His presence was so mighty. You are that temple. And you are because Jesus Christ became the cornerstone. And God perfectly fits you with Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, God calls the temple of God the church. 1 Corinthians 6, 2 Corinthians 6, God calls the temple of God the individual believer. You say, which is it? Both. Why? Because individual believers make up the church. The function of the building. Go back to Ephesians. Verse 21, in whom all the building fitly formed together... Growth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together in a habitation of God through the Spirit. So what's the function of the building? The dwelling place of God. So when people see you, do they see him? That's the function. And can I tell you today, as glorious as that is, it doesn't touch this next one. Look what he goes on to say. He said, you also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. You say, wait a minute, preacher. God made me his dwelling place. That's more than I can handle. Just the thought of that is more than I can handle. But God now makes me part of his holy priesthood. 
Are you kidding me? I want you to see three things in closing a privileged position. What do we know about the priesthood in the Old Testament? Listen, very, very limited by God who could be a part of it. You had to be of the tribe of Levi. All right, I want everybody that's of the tribe of Levi to raise your hand up. Only those of the tribe of Levi. How many of you agree in the Old Testament there was a couple occasions where people tried to assert themselves to the priesthood? Remember Korah? How'd that turn out? I mean, they were sucked into the earth. I mean, listen, God destroyed them. What about Saul? Remember when Saul went and brought, tried to observe uh, Samuel's authority? Went into and tried to bring sacrifices unto God? What did God do? God took away his kingdom. What about Uzziah? Oh, listen, you Levitical priest, let me help you out and keep this ark up on this, on this car. How'd that work out? He died on the spot. I mean, let me give you another example. You've got those, but, but what about this? What about King Uzziah? I mean, here's one. Same thing. And God killed him. Let me tell you who's part of God's priesthood. Every born again child of God. Let me tell you something. God clothed you to be priest. He clothed you in the righteousness of Christ. God clothed you to be priest. He gave you, didn't give you linen breeches like the priest. He gave you the spirit of God, which you wouldn't have to work in the flesh, but work in his spirit. Hey, not only did he clothe you, he called you. He separated you unto himself, that you would be servants unto him and no one else. He clothed you. He called you. He consecrated you. He made you holy through the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. Therefore, you can touch the holy things of God because God is is holy, cannot have anything to do with anything that's not holy, but yet God called you to be his priest. Why? Because he is holy. I'm sorry, guys. Do you understand the magnitude of how God sees you? Not only a privileged position, but a participating practice. You are a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Now let me tell you what this doesn't include, then I'll tell you what it does include. I praise God. I don't have to bring blood on the behalf of myself or anybody else. Jesus already did that. I praise God. I don't have to stand and somebody else. Fellowship with God is based upon my interceding for them. And I'm glad somebody else's forgiveness is not based on my interceding for them. Jesus took care of that. So what sacrifices do we bring? The Bible lists two. Romans 12, 1, 
You present your bodies a living sacrifice. That means your surrender and your total availability unto God. Then you find in Hebrews, Hebrews, listen to what it says, that we're to bring the sacrifice of what? Praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Can I tell you, many of the sacrifices in which the priests would bring to God in the Old Testament were not meant for sin. They were meant for praise. They were meant for adoration. They were meant for worship. And so guess what today? God says, listen, you're now my priest. I've clothed you. I've called you. I've consecrated you. I've made you my own. I've separated you unto myself. I've made you holy through my son, Jesus Christ. Now that you ought to be to the praise of my glory, to the praise of my person. You ought to be a sweet-smelling savor of Christ. Every word you speak, every step you take, and every deed you embark upon. Lastly, a pleasing product. Acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Say, preacher, if God sees me in the same light as he saw the Levitical priesthood, I'm fearful he's not very pleased. Well, y'all want some good news? It's not based upon you. Acceptable by Jesus Christ. The word acceptable means fully, fully well pleased. So when God sees you as his spiritual house, the dwelling place of his presence, God sees his son. And when God sees his son, God the Father always says yes, yes, yes. This is still my son in whom I'm well what? Now, does that shuck us from responsibility of obedience and surrender? Absolutely not. But folks, I want you to understand today. God sees you in a far greater light as just forgiven. God sees you in a far greater light as just being children. God sees you far greater light than just being redeemed. God sees you in a far greater light than just being saved. God sees you as his spiritual building, which he fitly put together piece by piece, saved by saved, one by one, as those that would come to the saving knowledge of Christ. And he perfectly fits you with the capstone, the cornerstone of the Lord Jesus. And now he's aligned you with him. He's connected you to him. And he's connected you to one another because one piece is intertwined with the other piece. And God says of his spiritual house, this is my habitation, but this is my priesthood. This is them. Every one of my children. Doesn't matter what culture, doesn't matter what tribe, doesn't matter what ethnicity they come from. 
every one of my children. I see as a holy priest. Set aside unto myself. You ever seen yourself that way? Father, I stand amazed. I stand in awe. Father, I say this all the time, but I still can't get past it. You know in all that you knew about me, you know in all that you knew about us, why in the world you would even send your son to take our place on a cross blows my mind. And then to save us, and then to take your presence and place within us, And then to view us as your sole habitation on earth. And then want to work through us as your consecrated priests that handle the holy things of God. Father, this is the only way you could say what you said in your word, that you've entrusted the gospel unto us. How could you entrust something precious and holy as the gospel unto us? Because, Father, you see us as holy priests. Clothed, called, and consecrated unto you. Father, I wonder in here today, if there's anybody that like. Israel and the Gospels. They've conjured up in their own mind their own view of who Christ is. A view that lets them stay independent instead of dependent. A view that lets them choose instead of you directing. Maybe today, Father, You're showing somebody in here the reason they feel that way is because they've never encountered the living stone. Your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, they know about him. They could quote scriptures about him. But Father, they've never experienced him. But Father, for every child of yours in this place, I wonder how many of us in here this morning would just be willing to say, Father, I'm, I'm amazed that this is what you called me to when you saved me. This is how you see me when you saved me. Now, Father, don't let me give you any difficulty that I could walk in the reality of how you see me. For your honor and your glory. In Jesus' holy, precious, and mighty name. And all God's children said,